So here's a question. What are you holding on to that is preventing you from climbing further with Jesus? It's a question Sam asked in the last couple of weeks. I thought it was a really good question. It's a good thing to ask on a regular basis. God, what is preventing me from climbing further with you? What's holding me back? And before we really dig in today, I'm going to ask a few more questions I want you to just think about. What if you're wrong? What if you're wrong? What if you're wrong in some of the ways that you think? What if you're wrong in some of the conclusions that you made? What if you're wrong in some of your understanding about the Bible and what it teaches or how we live that out? What if you're wrong? That could never be. But what if? Maybe answer this question. Are you open to being corrected? Are you willing to repent? Are you willing to let God change your mind and go from what you think to what he thinks? Because this is a lifelong journey. This isn't something that just happens one moment. You say a prayer and you get everything all figured out. It's a continual lifelong process. And I'm telling you, God is exposing stuff in me all the time. All the time. And typically, it doesn't feel so pleasant. It can be very humbling. It can be disorienting. And Sam said it takes intentionality to climb a mountain in the same way it takes intentionality to climb with Jesus, to follow him. This is the kind of intentionality we're talking about, to allow him to change the way that we think and the way that we live so that we can be like him. And many times when he invites us to change, it's not because of a peaceful, easy feeling for all you Eagles fans. Not at all. It's when we're thrown off guard. It's when we feel vulnerable or exposed. It's when we feel like we're at the end of the rope or the way that we understood the world just doesn't seem to work anymore. It's often a crisis moment. And I believe this is often where Jesus wants us because it's only in times like this where we're actually open enough for him to speak to us. He's got our attention. Oftentimes, this is how he gets our attention. You ready to get started? Maybe. We'll find out. We continue in our sermon series, Mountaineering with the Master, and we're taking Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. We're taking it verse by verse, and we're still in chapter 5. We haven't gotten too far. We're talking about the kingdom. And to remind everyone, the kingdom of God is more than just some place that we go to when we die. We don't just kind of wait out our time on earth just waiting for that glorious moment when we're in heaven and the kingdom is here. The kingdom is here. The kingdom is now. The kingdom has come. We're living in this kingdom. The kingdom of God is already, but not yet. Already, but not yet. And Jesus invites us to live in this kingdom moment by moment here on earth, submitting to him as our king. We submit to him in our hearts, in our minds. We submit to him in the way that we live. And we submit to his presence wherever we are at any time. And there's this tension that we live in as inhabitants of this kingdom, recognizing we submit to him here and now. His kingdom has come, but it has still not reached its fullness, and it will not until he returns. And in the last two weeks, Sam Buckmeyer has shared that when we live in this kingdom, that we're like salt and light. We're salt and light, meaning we are valuable and we have purpose. 
And our value isn't in what we do, but it's in who we are. Not so much what would Jesus do, but who would Jesus be? And it's only when we embrace this identity that he has given us that we can really live out this life and shine for all the world to see. It's only when we are continually connected to the source of Jesus. And today we're going to move into, we're starting to move into verses 17 through 20, which I believe are a pivot point for the whole rest of Jesus' message on the Sermon on the Mount. This is a pivot point. He's finished with his proclamations. He's finished with the Beatitudes. Who is invited into the kingdom and why they're blessed? He has shared what it means to the world when we live in this kingdom, that we're a light for everyone as we shine and reflect his character so that the whole world might praise our Father in heaven. And he is about to explain what it looks like to live into this kingdom, what it looks like, what it looks like to be salt and light. And what he is about to share is so completely radical. It's a whole new paradigm for how we do life. And it still rocks the world to this day because it is so absolutely contrary to our human nature. But before we get to what it looks like to live in the kingdom, what it looks like to be salt and light, he explains his intentions here so that nobody can misunderstand what he's saying. And this is where we are today. That realize that what he says is controversial. And it's caused significant debate among theologians. Well, listen to what he says. He says, Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth. Until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Why is this controversial? We're going to take the next couple of weeks to unpackage this. But can we acknowledge, can we acknowledge, is it safe to say that, that what Jesus says is not very simple? It's not simple. Wouldn't it be nice if he just gave us a list of instructions to do? That just makes things so much easier, but a lot of times like he says things and we wonder, like, what are you talking about, Jesus? Where did this come from? What does this mean? And we wrestle with it in our hearts and minds, trying to understand what he meant. And again, I believe this is intentional because we tend to gravitate toward the law. We gravitate towards rules. We gravitate toward checkboxes. We've got to check off all our checkboxes to make sure we're doing all the right things. And when we do that, we miss the absolute treasure of relationship with him and walking with Jesus day by day, moment by moment. In the kingdom, that's what we get to do as participants of this kingdom. And when we resort just to a bunch of rules, we completely miss the absolute treasure that it is. And so big picture, what I'm hoping we can take away within the next couple of weeks is one, we are not as rational or as logical as we think we are. How many of you is that a surprise? A couple maybe. Some people know, some people think, yeah, I'm very logical. My wife is a crazy one. Very emotional. But really, we all are not as rational. So what I want you to do is turn to your neighbor, and if it's your spouse, even better. But say you are not as rational or as logical as you think you are. 
Yeah. There's going to be fights afterward. Don't get in a fight afterward. I told you to do it. It's okay. But was that fun? <laughs> there might be marriage counseling. We'll talk to you later. But now turn to them again. Turn to them again and say, neither am I. Okay. So that's one big point. And the next one is as we study the Bible, as we study the Bible, we can easily miss the heart of Jesus. We can completely miss it. And so today we're going to spend the majority of our time focusing on this first point. And next week we're going to cover the second point in more detail. But here's a quick heads up I feel like I need to make for some of us here. I'm not really going to use a lot of scripture today. We're going to have more time for that next week, really getting into the text. But today's going to focus more on the psychology of our brains and how, how we think, how we process information or maybe don't. And recognize that for those of us who might want to push back on that, this is important. This is important. Psychology, science, spirituality all go together. And the more we understand, the more that we can know. But if we don't understand this about ourselves, if we don't understand how we're wired, that we're not very impartial, that we're not very objective, that we're not nearly as rational as we think, it has a very real potential to greatly affect whether or not we can climb higher on this mountain with Jesus. It does. If we don't understand that by default... We're all pretty thick. We're pretty thick. If we don't understand that, we will be unable to hear when Jesus is trying to get our attention, even when truth is staring us right in the face. Because the truth is, we can use the Bible to justify our sin. We can use the Bible to justify our sin. We can use the Bible to justify slavery, racism, homophobia, prosperity, divorce, either to get a divorce or to stay in an abusive and dangerous marriage and not get a divorce. Either way, we can use the Bible to justify misogyny, domestic abuse, murder, and even genocide. And you might be thinking, that's terrible. How could that possibly happen? How could people do that with the Bible? Well, it's not actually that hard. It's not actually that hard because we see what we want to see, we believe what we want to believe, and we infer that into the Bible, or we don't see what is plain, what is plainly right there. And all of us, in some measure, might be doing that actually right now and be completely unaware of it. What do you think of that? So if we take a few examples. How about slavery? Everybody knows slavery was a thing, right? It's, it's tarnished our nation. We have this stain on us. But we were, this country was founded by Christian men on Christian principles. How was slavery a thing? Well, the Bible never outright condemns it. It doesn't condemn it. So if you want to believe it's okay, you're not going to see what's plenty there. To love your neighbor as yourself to treat other people as you would want to be treated. So it's there, but it's not right there, is it? What about racism? You could use ideas in the Bible that could argue for racism. It's all over the Bible. And on a personal story, when I was a kid, I think I was about seven or eight years old, I had a pastor 
who was telling me and a few other students about Cain and Abel. Right? You're wondering, what in the world? Yeah. Cain and Abel, in Genesis chapter 4, Cain and Abel bring, they present an offering to God. God accepts Abel's offering. He doesn't like Cain's offering. So Cain gets in this jealous rage. He's mad, and he kills his brother. It's the first murder recorded in the Bible. So God is angry with Cain. He casts him out. And part of this process is God puts a mark on Cain. And my pastor told me that he believes that that mark was that he made him black. Yeah. Like, what? Talk about reading things into the text that aren't there. And I'm like seven or eight. I had no idea this was like, okay. But because of this idea, it kind of comes with the conclusion that being black is because of Cain's sin, because he murdered his brother. And that's just kind of twisted, isn't it? So for all of you African-American people, I apologize. I love you. But we can use the Bible. And what about domestic abuse? Paul says in Ephesians 5, he says, Wives, submit. Submit yourselves to your husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the, of the house as Christ is the head of the church. The head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. And how many people have abused that scripture over and over again. How many women hate this scripture because it has been abused and twisted so that men could have dominance over their wives and tell them exactly what they need to do. They conveniently miss the whole rest of the passage in there. But the point is that we can easily fool ourselves. And scripture itself points to this idea. Jeremiah the prophet writes, The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? But I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. You see, church, we fool ourselves. We have the ability to do good things, even in the wickedness of our hearts. We can do good things with absolutely false motives, trying to puff ourselves up or make us, ourselves feel worthy. Like I could go down to a homeless shelter to help, not because I give a rip about the homeless, not because I want to make a difference or love them and show Jesus to them, but because it makes me look good to my Christian friends and maybe gives me some bragging rights. Look at what God used me to do today. I went down to the homeless people and I, yeah, whoop-dee doesn't matter if your heart's not in it. Or what, I could lead a Bible study, not because I want to go further in my spiritual walk with Jesus, and not because I want to disciple others, but because it makes me look good, because I can show off my vast superior biblical knowledge. Maybe get a little respect around here. Right? <laughs> Someday, maybe it will happen. Thank you. But on the opposite side, we can do evil and convince ourselves that it's good. It can go both ways. See, we can fool ourselves, and we can easily use the Bible to justify our sin. And not only that, but sometimes we act like we know all there is to know. Like we get it all figured out, or at least we act like we do. Now, how many of you have ever found yourselves face-to-face with an egotistical, bona fide know-it-all? Anybody? Is that it? Just the two of you? See, the thing is, nobody likes know-it-alls. They're annoying. They're annoying. They just talk. And they're often condescending. They talk down to you. They act like you're stupid. They'll talk right over you. And it's, 
annoying. And one of the greatest places in the modern era for know-it-alls to just come out of the woodwork is social media. All over the place. And I'm still amazed sometimes by the vitriol that I see when two people disagree on an idea. And what I find fascinating is that sometimes they can just rip each other's throats out when they've taken little time to really examine the other side of an issue. Sometimes they've taken no time. So this is a picture, right? On the left circle, we have objective facts, reality. This is the way things actually are. And on the right side, we have what we think we know. And with that, we have all these things that kind of confirm our beliefs, but they're not reality. And in this little part in the middle is what we actually see. Whoa. But yet there's this assumption that we make that I'm right, not because I've genuinely taken the time to look at an issue, to examine it, to study it, but simply because that's how I was taught. That's what I've always known. From my very birth, so obviously, like, that's all I've heard, so it must be right. I'm right. And if I'm right, then that makes you an idiot. You're a moron. That's my son. (laughs) He's really not. He's very intelligent. But you know what I'm talking about. We can get all heated up about these issues, but especially when it comes to politics and religion. Why do these two things affect us so much? You ever wonder? And I think it's because of this. Because these are the areas that generally have the greatest impact on our worldview. They're the biggest factors that play into our understanding of how the world works. It's our lens through which we try to understand the world. And typically it's a lens that has the biggest factor in our identity and who we think we are. It's kind of a security blanket, and we feel like we can stay safe if the world operates just like this, right? And so if anybody starts to push and prod or question things like that, we'll watch out because the claws are coming out. And to be honest, I still see this in myself today, even though I know this. I've gotten better at not letting the claws come out and just go attacking people, and I just want to. But many times I've quickly dismissed people when they have ended up being right. I've dismissed them even though they were right. I thought I knew better. And I thought they just didn't know what they were talking about. Or worse, I questioned their motivations. Or I questioned their character. Just simply because I didn't agree. And what this did in me was two things. Number one, it prohibited my ability to learn from them. It prohibited my ability to learn. Even when they were right, And it greatly hindered my ability to love. It hindered my ability to love. And at times it has made me even try to go around and avoid them because I did not want to even talk to them. And that's kind of twisted just because we don't agree on something. Can anybody relate? In his book, Unoffendable, Brant Hansen says something that goes along with this. He says, We're absolute masters at changing reality to fit our narrative. We are masters at changing reality to fit our narrative, our understanding of the way that things are. I've done this in my marriage. It's gotten me in trouble. 
But research confirms this idea. Jonathan Haidt is a social psychologist. His research, he's done a lot of research, and it's actually changed a lot of the ways that he thinks about a number of things. But in his book, The Righteous Mind, he describes how our reasoning is driven by our intuitions, our gut feelings, and our emotions. It's driven by these things. Does anybody see logic in that list? That's kind of something, isn't it? But logic has little to do with it. It has little to do with it. And the, this is why when we're talking with somebody, we can't always just use reason and facts to get them to change their mind. And it's also why they can't use reason and facts and logic to change our minds. It just, we don't think that way. He says when it comes to moral judgments, that we think we are scientists discovering the truth. But actually we are lawyers arguing for positions that we arrived at by other means. We think we're scientists, but we're actually lawyers arguing for positions we arrived at by other means. So to illustrate this point, and this is where this slide comes from, a Psychology Today article called, Why People Ignore Facts. It cites a study that found that people who had strong math skills were only good at solving a math problem if the solution to the problem conformed to their political beliefs. Does that make sense? See, math doesn't have an opinion. It's just, it's right or wrong. It's correct or it's incorrect, right? That's the way it should work. I mean, that's that's how I grew up. I don't know what it's like today. But they did a study. And they had a problem about gun control. And liberals had difficulty solving this math problem if the answer to that problem showed that gun control actually increased crime. And on the opposite side, conservatives had a really hard time if it showed that gun control actually decreased crime. Both sides thought there's no way that could possibly be, and they could not answer this question. And so we make decisions based on our feelings, and then we use reason to justify them. That's how we operate. We make decisions based on our feelings, and then use reason to justify them. How many of you use logic Strictly logic when you selected your spouse. Come on, let's see all the romantics out here. Maybe one or two. But isn't that kind of an important thing? This is the person you are attaching yourself to for the rest of your life. A little bit of logic? Something? It doesn't make any sense. But that's the thing. Our decisions are often not based on logic. They're based on our desires. They're based on our wants. They're based on our needs. And they're based on our feelings. Oftentimes, feelings like fear and anger and shame. And sometimes these feelings are pushed so down inside of us that we have no idea they're even there. Yet it's coming out all over the place. It's coming out sideways because we cannot make a coherent, logical decision because we are so hurt and wounded inside. And to make things even more fuzzy, studies are finding that humans are very tribal people. We're tribal. We have a deep desire to belong. Anybody here have a desire to belong? In his book, Atomic Habits, James Clear writes that humans are herd animals. We want to fit in. We want to fit in. We want to bond with others and to earn the respect and approval of our peers. So we reach conclusions often based on the beliefs of our corresponding tribe. 
Now, how many of you have ever read something that kind of rocked your world? They thought, whoa, that's crazy, but that makes a lot of sense. And then you had to look back to see who wrote it to know that you could actually think it's okay to believe. I just caught myself doing this last year. I was like, what? I did it again. Because we want to stick with our tribe. Because it's safe. We're asking, does this conclusion fit with the beliefs of my tribe? Is it safe to believe this? And there are some good reasons for that, right? But sometimes we act like truth is only completely one-sided and we can't find any truth or anything in somebody that thinks a little bit differently than us. So reason justifies what we've already decided, and then our tribe reinforces our convictions. And you see, we like to stay within our tribe so that our beliefs are never questioned, and we can be affirmed again and again and again and again and just think we know it all. And this just adds to the problem. In America, we even have our own version of the news. Isn't that cool? Anything so we don't have to listen to people or hear opinions whose voices differ from our own, which just adds to the polarization because each side continually affirms each other. Aside from facts, aside from reality, we affirm each other. Now, how many of you watch the news? Man, none of you guys watch the news. Okay, some of us watch the news. I don't watch the news either. I, well, I, I really don't. I used to all the time. And it got me angry and a very bad person. But so we have, see, we got two news channels, right? We got MSNBC and Fox News. Which one is the liberal news channel? MSNBC, Fox News, conservative. We can probably throw CNN on the liberal side too, right? Now, I'm not going to ask the question of who watches what because I don't want to cause division in our church, okay? But I do want to ask how many of you regularly watch the other side that is opposite of your political views. Do you? That is amazing. Nice job. Now, do you do that to learn, or is that because, like, you want to hear what kinds of things they're saying so you can hate on them more? <laughs> know your enemy. Good. Well, good. That actually surprised me, because I don't think that's very common. Because it's, it's easier to stay within our own tribe. It's easier to stay more comfortable and stick with our tribe because as long as we do that, we can be affirmed in what we think and we can look at the other side and we can look at them as wrong, as evil, as the problem with America, the problem with our society, the problem with our culture. And if they were just taken off the face of the earth, life would be so much better. We put them in the subhuman category. We can do that. It's all this to say. We're not as rational as logical as we think we are. We change reality to fit our narrative. We have an immense ability to fool ourselves, even using the Bible to justify our sin. We think we know it all, even when we have a very limited perspective on things. When people think differently than we do, we are quick to question people's intelligence, their motives, and their character. We make decisions based on our feelings and then use reason to justify them. And we want to fit in. We just want to fit in, so we often stick to the beliefs of our tribe, right? And why is this helpful to know? Again, because if we remain unaware of this, it can be a big blind spot in our walk with Jesus. It can be a huge blind spot. It can cause us to ignore some of the things he says because we think, surely he could not mean that. 
Like there's a lot of people that look at the Sermon on the Mount and they don't think that it's actually something we're intended to live out because that's impossible. Nobody could live like that. That's too hard. That's not humanly possible. Well, what if Jesus did intend for us to live like that? What if he was serious about the things that he said? What if he was serious? And yeah, he uses some hyperbole and some things that grab our attention, but what if he's serious about living this way? We can't just write things off because it, it doesn't make sense to us. See, the thing with blind spots, as long as we're aware of them, we can compensate. We can compensate. So if I'm driving down the road, I've got my side view mirrors, I've got my rear view mirror here, right? If I don't know there's a blind spot, I can easily turn in, crash into some poor old mom, and kill all of her kids. You know, danger, wreckage, awful. But if I realize that there are blind spots behind me, I can do a quick double check, and I can look and say, wait a minute. Do I need to check? Do I need to look? And this is what we need to do when we study Scripture. We want to do a double check. We want to be aware of our blind spots, recognizing that we approach Scripture with a specific set of lenses through which we understand. We look at things through lenses, through our culture, through our understanding, through our upbringing. And sometimes those things help us see things in the Bible that are there. And sometimes they keep us from seeing what could be right in front of our face. We all have them. And when I worked at Bemis a few years ago, um, as a programmer, but I worked with a man named Calvin. He was African-American, and he was a business owner, so he had employees under him, and he just contracted at Bemis. But I got to know Calvin. I got to trust him, respect him, and we had some conversations. And in our conversations, he would tell me stories about things that happened to him growing up, and worst of all, things that happened to him right now, like racial profiling and all kinds of things. It like blew my mind. I thought, how could this? This does not happen today. This is like a thing of the past, many, many years ago. And if he was anybody else, I would have, like, like no way. It's like, you're just talking crap. But I couldn't because I knew him. He had no, he had no reason to lie about this stuff. And I, he's a good guy. I trusted him. And when I heard these stories, like, I wouldn't have accepted it if it was somebody else. And I realized that the lenses that I had were because of my upbringing. I was white. I was middle class. I was largely sheltered. And I never had a chance to really see that part of the world. I didn't see it, so I didn't think that it existed. And it exposed some of my blind spots and some of my prejudice. It showed me that there's a lot that I don't know. It showed me that I'm quick to make a lot of assumptions about people. And I often am quick to judge them unfairly. And here's, here's the deal, church. Like I realize in a lot of ways this is kind of a detour from our Sermon on the Mount passage. And I was thinking about why it is this week. Like what, why do I feel this is so important? And I think it's because this is so personal to me. Like this has hit me in a very real way. I grew up in church, conservative, very, saw things like this, and I thought if people didn't see like I did, they were wrong. I was very quick to condemn, I was quick to judge. If I, they weren't doing what I thought they should be doing, I kind of cast them out in a lot of ways. I was very judgmental, very harsh, very critical. And I didn't realize that there might be an issue with that. You're just kind of identifying who's in, who's out, blah, whatever. 
And then what happened is I'm in, I'm in Bible school. I'm going to college. I wish I was done. I got three weeks left to go. I cannot wait. But in this class, or a couple of years ago, I had to take a class called Critical Issues in Theology. And one of the books we had to study was Four Views on Biblical Inerrancy. Now, don't get caught up in the title. The, the issue, the, they're talking about creation, right? How do we interpret the creation story in the book of Genesis? And I was taught young earth view. This is how it is. God created the earth about 6,000 years ago. It's very literal, six days, all fine. But I was, if you did not believe that, you were not a Christian, really. Like, you had to believe this, or you had to throw out the rest of the Bible. Like, it was not possible, because you did not believe the word of God as it was understood. And this was other views that, it wasn't so much their views, but it was their stories of how they arrived where they did. And what I saw was that these are very humble, God-fearing people that just want to follow Jesus. I could not dispute that. I could not deny that. And it wasn't so much about how they viewed that part of Scripture, but it was about their hearts, their, their walk with Jesus. Right? And I like, raised question, like, is this possible to believe something a little different and not be, and still be one of the chosen? Right? And in the last couple of years, this has been even kind of more of a thing. Justin and I have been kind of going through some questions and asking some things of the Bible and the text and everything that we thought, everything that we were taught growing up, right? We've had some questions. And it just kind of spurred on by a thought. And we asked questions, and we, it was a really hard place for us to be because it was scary. It was scary. Because we were wrestling, is this okay to ask this question? Is this okay? If we do this, are we being unfaithful to God? Are we being unfaithful? If we come to a different side of the, this understanding, are we going to lose our salvation? Are we going to get kicked out of church? Right? And so there's all these, there's all these fears of plainness, and we're in this place and recognize, like, this is a lonely place that people can be in because we can't go to people in church. So I hear what I'm saying. Because the church can be condemning. It can be very harsh and judgmental and throw people out because they come to a different conclusion, but they still follow, they still love Jesus, right? And it can be very condemning, and it, it was scary. And I'm a pastor. I'm not supposed to have these kinds of questions, but I tell you, it happens. But here's, here's what I want you to know. At the end of this, we realize that our faith was much more on the specific set of beliefs, having to believe just the right things, and it was not on the person of Jesus. And that's kind of messed up. In the end, we realize like, our trust, our hope, our faith, I think it's so much more vibrant, it's so much more real, because we recognize that Jesus is enough. Jesus is big enough to handle our doubts. He's big enough to handle our questions. He's big enough to handle our fears. He doesn't require us to believe exactly the right things that somebody says we need to. He doesn't care so much. All he asks us to do is to trust him and to follow. Trust me and follow me. Give me your heart. We tend to make it so brainy sometimes and so fixed, like it has to be this way. And we miss the greater point. We miss life with Jesus, walking with him. So this is real to me. 
And this is, I think, why we've taken this detour. But the fact is that many people close to us right now have things that they're hiding. They have things that they don't want, they don't want people to know because they're afraid of what might happen if people knew. This could be beliefs. It could be things that is going on in their marriage. It could be things that's going on in their family. All this weight and pressure, and they feel like they have to isolate themselves because they might face condemnation if people knew. And what I want for us, church, I want us to be a, a people who are safe. I want us to be a people who, who will listen and seek to understand, who won't just tell people they're wrong and just make them try to conform into this little box that we want to put them in but just to listen, to understand, to hear their stories, to hear their heart. And not be quick to condemn, not be quick to judge, not be quick to criticize, but just hear. Because if there's ever a place that needs to be open to people who, who need things like this, it's got to be the church. It's got to be us. Otherwise, they're going to go out and they're going to start talking to a bunch of other people that don't care about them. They got one side and I want us to be a people who are safe. And I want us to be a people who look at Scripture and be aware of the lenses through which we see. We all got them. And we want to walk this road together. Sometimes I think, I do think, that God often makes us, he wires us differently so that we see things differently. Because together we can see a clearer picture. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. It's not about necessarily believing or coming down in the same ways, but it's walking forward with Jesus together. Yeah? So here's the deal. Next week, next week we're going to take the scripture. We're going to come back and actually we're going to dig into this passage. And we're going to talk about the law, what it was. We're going to talk about how the Pharisees saw scripture and how even though they knew scripture backwards and forwards, they could not see what was right in front of them. They missed it. They missed Jesus. And hopefully as we begin to recognize some of our own tendencies and downfalls in the way that we see the world, we won't fall victim to the same things that the Pharisees did back in their day. Does that sound okay? So here's, here's your homework. And it's pretty easy. Read Genesis to Revelation by next... I'm just kidding. I want you to have conversations. I want you to have conversations with people that are different than you. People who think differently, who believe differently, who are a different ethnicity, who are a different class, poor, rich, whatever. They can be Muslim, they can be atheist, they can be Catholic, they can be, I don't care. And I don't want you to talk about your beliefs and where you landed, but I want you to talk about the stories. Find out why they got to where they did. What formed, what shaped their understanding and their beliefs. Because when we do that, we begin to see the humanity in each other. We don't isolate people into this very small thing of this is what they believe, that's who they are, but we hear their stories and it helps us relate to them in a way that is much more loving, that is much more humble and gentle, and maybe we can start to see them like Jesus does. Yeah? So have some conversations with people. Get down. Don't talk about political talking points. That's just going to be bad. But listen to stories. Find out what shaped them. Because you might come away with a completely different picture of who you think they are when you're done. Yeah? Can we pray? Let's pray.
Father, God, I thank you. That you are bigger than anything that we face, any problem we have, any mountain in front of us, God, you are bigger, you are stronger. And in all the world, Lord, you care for us, which is so incredible. Lord, I thank you for your presence. I thank you for your guidance and how you gently lead us to repentance, how you gently lead us to walk in your ways and to trust Jesus. And Lord, I pray that you would, that you would help us to become aware of the blind spots that we have in our life, to be aware of the lenses through which we see the world, to know that the world is a much bigger place, to know that you are working in people all over the place and we just have yet to see. And how do you shape them, Lord? It can show so much in us can show things about us. And Lord, I think it shows us your heart as well as you came to die for this world, to be a sacrifice for them so that they can experience life. So Father, have your way in our hearts. Give us understanding that isn't just one way, but recognize sometimes, help us recognize that the emotions we face are, or that we have are often because you're trying to show us something. You're trying to point something out. Help us connect with each other in some real meaningful ways this week to dig in the places that we are afraid to go to, to dig in the places that are uncomfortable. And Lord, let us leave with a greater awareness of who you are and of your work in us and in the world. Pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.